Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Oh, hi, Jeff. Let's go on the roof to talk about how women never say what they mean and always play games. Or we can just take down an armed drug dealer. Don't worry about it. Oh, hey, Jeremy. You want to throw this football around in our tuxedos? Or are you a big chicken? (laughs) Come on, you guys. Let's start the podcast. It's tearing me apart. No words. No words. That's all that was needed. The end. If you couldn't tell, we are talking terrible movies tonight. Possibly the most famous terrible movie of the 21st century. There have been others that have carried the torch for many years, but I think this one is definitely in the zeitgeist, at least for the last 10 years, has definitely been on the radar of movie lovers and people that can appreciate so bad it's good films. Now, I I do have to say this has a higher Rotten Tomatoes than Batman v Superman. (laughs) Uh, Well, it is like half the length. So at the very least, (laughs) what story he attempts to tell, he does it quickly. If you're listening to this episode, I hope you're in on the joke here. We are talking about, from 2003, Tommy Wiseau's film, The Room. Okay, so this movie, it says, budget, $6 million. Exactly. And that all went to the green screen city skyline that they (laughs) used over and over and over again? Well, and even before we begin, just as kind of an intro, is that, at at least for myself, and I think for all all three of us, like, I am an appreciator of a good, bad movie. Watching Battlefield Earth, or watching Santa Claus versus the Martians, Birdemic, of course, Troll 2, and Plan 9. And so we kind of were talking about it before, and we've done, you know, some of our favorite movies all the movies that we've chosen at least one of us has really liked so we said well what if we just pick one that hands down every single one of us thinks is a horrible movie so that's where we came up with the room which none of the three of us had seen but we just knew how horrible it was and yeah we all had our our first taste of the room experience uh, I will still say I have not seen this and I will not oh. see this. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do have to say, in after having watched it, I think it is actually more entertaining to read the Wikipedia page with the plot <laughs> summary. It actually is more humorous than suffering through 90 minutes. Speaking of that, Jeff, so the co-star of this film, Tommy Wiseau, was the writer, director, producer, auteur behind this film. Star. Everything. But the guy who was kind of his right-hand man and his friend, this guy Greg Sestero, he wrote a book called The Disaster Artist. Basically, it's all about the making of the film. And just like what we were talking about, the $6 million budget went to recasting the film several times. Tommy Wiseau bought, he did not rent camera equipment. He bought a 35 millimeter camera and a digital camera 
and he shot the film simultaneously in both formats and claims that he plans to write a book about it someday. He's going to talk about <laughs> the difference between shooting in the two formats and, and explain it to the world. I think Keanu Reeves already beat him to that and did it much better. But this book, The Disaster Artist, it's actually been optioned by James Franco and Seth Rogen, together with his writing partner, wrote a film, and they're making this film. It's wow. being filmed. The film about it, the it's, film. It's got Brian Cranston, Zac Efron... Wow. It's Allison Breed. Even Sharon Stone is in this movie. It is a crazy, wow. ridiculous name cast because this has just been a phenomenon, especially in, in L.A. Uh, for years, just among the film going community. Again, if you get a chance, check out the Wikipedia page because it is just fascinating, all of the background information. It actually adds to the movie, I think, finding all the crazy things that they went through. Uh, to make this movie. But the one thing that they did say is that apparently, again, all financed by Wiesel himself, and he got a billboard down in LA and he paid to have the logo for the room on that billboard for five years, like every <laughs> single day. So I think it cost like 5,000. Yeah. Five, and it became like money. a landmark. It did. Yeah. For five years. And not only that, but if you guys have ever seen a picture of him, which he, he's kind of a creepy looking guy. Yeah. And apparently the image on it is that he said he called it evil man was the name that he <laughs> called the picture. And it was of his face staring at the camera and his right eye was in mid blink. And that was the entire poster. And it was up there for five years. And now Jeff, I'm just curious. So, how did you hear about The Room? Like you said, you knew of the reputation. You were the yeah. one who said, yo, let's, let's do The Room. None of us seen it. Let's try it out. Right. Well, again, I'm a big fan of bad movies. And in fact, in my previous capacity as a youth pastor, one of my more popular events was Bad Movie Night, where I would pick a bad <laughs> movie and we would have the students watch it. So with some of them, I had to kind of pre-screen. I'm like, can I show this to like middle school students? Which thankfully this one didn't come up. Yeah. But so I was looking at, you know, lists for worst movies of all time and watching, you know, YouTube clips of worst movies. And invariably on almost every single list, this would always show up. And it was always clips of the main star and his like bizarre, like, oh, hi. And I heard somebody say that he sounds like Borat doing a Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> and it is, it's just the most bizarre thing. And so, again, it was the one movie in that pantheon that I, I still hadn't seen. And Jeremy, had you heard of it? Had Was the name familiar to you at all when we brought her up? No, I, I hadn't heard of this. I thought we were doing like that new movie with Brie Larson <laughs> called room or the room or whatever she won in an oscar for i was gonna say that be an amazing achievement for the worst <laughs> film ever but uh, an academy award-winning performance you know? i watched the trailer for this and was like no i can figure it all out from here oh this is brutal i have a, an interesting history with this film because i'm in jeff's boat i love a good terrible film you know mystery science theater 3000 certainly has trained us well to appreciate them but i for two or three years was a regularly attending this revival house, I guess you'd call an independent movie theater called Madcap Theaters in Tempe, Arizona. And they would play cult films, you know, like Howard the Duck or Troop Beverly Hills, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. It's a weird film called Stunt Rock. Anyway, there, there's just like crazy stuff that you would see midnight movies. And one night I was there watching one of these shows, it was like around 2009, 
and I'm in the lobby just kind of chatting up some of the programmers who run the films. And out of this theater, I see this group of people come out and they're surrounding this guy who runs past me. And he looked like the love child of Jim Morrison and Glenn Danzig. He's wearing all black and he had sunglasses indoors, had long black hair, running around like tossing a football back and forth with all these people. <laughs> like, you're in the middle of a theater. What is this? And people were just like, woo! You know, they thought he was so funny. So I finally asked you know, the people at the theater, I'm like, who is this? They're like, oh, it's this guy, Tommy. He's he's showing one of his movies. He just kind of wow. shows him around. I'm like, okay. And then five years ago, I get wind of this film, The Room, and I'm like, that's the football guy. Couldn't believe it. That was my brush. I was in the presence of Tommy Wiseau. I was not even aware of it. But at the same time, this isn't my kind of bad film. I'm more like crazy sci-fi or, you know, old, weird horror films or just terrible comedies. That's what I go for. I just did not approach this film in any way. It's supposed to be so bad it's good, but it's almost just so bizarre. You know, yeah. like it gets beyond poor filmmaking. Like it's just like poor grasp on humanity. It's, it's like Helen Keller was told what a, <laughs> what a romantic film would be about. And she doesn't know how to emote with a face. And she doesn't know about, she can't hear inflections in a voice. And then that's how the film was made. Oh, it's so odd. It's yeah. funny, like when we're doing our bad movie nights, because there's a couple of different categories that I think bad movies... Like real bad movies fit into. There's some, like the Super Mario Brothers movie, where it's a swing and a miss, where it's a studio really went for the gusto and they just completely whiffed. And that's what's funny about it. And then there's other ones, like you look at an Ed Wood movie, and an Ed Wood was a kind of a guy, if you've never seen an Ed Wood movie, he did like Plan 9 from Outer Space and Glenn or Glenda and stuff like that. And Ed Wood didn't believe that audiences cared anything about details. So you will watch his movies and the details are just like, like they'll walk through a graveyard and a gravestone will like fall over. And he's like, nah, no one will ever notice that. Or like <laughs> one of the characters will change their name in the middle of the movie. Eh, no big deal. My favorite is whenever he has policemen in an Ed Wood movie, he'll always have them point to things with their guns. So they're like, over there, you're the one that did it. And they'll scratch their head with the barrel of the gun or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. But Ed Wood just didn't care about those things. And then there's a third one for people that are so passionate about something. They're so convinced that their vision needs to be heard. And that's a lot of like what you get with Troll 2, where Troll 2, apparently they thought that they were teaching the world why vegetarians are idiots or something like that. Or yeah, the director <laughs> is so passionate that that is a good film and nobody understands. Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. If you ever see Birdemic, Birdemic is another one that's supposed to be about saving nature. And they're so passionate about it that it just makes no sense. Whereas this one, I feel like I feel like Tommy Wiseau was so passionately narcissistic. And that's the reason, I mean, even if you hear, he originally wrote this story, which is based on his own life and about the time that he got broken up with by someone who cheated on him and he felt he was wronged by her. He wrote it into a play that no one would put on. So then he wrote it into a 500-page book, which no one would publish. So finally, <laughs> he said, you know what? I'm going to completely pay, direct, write, produce, and star in a movie version of my story. And finally, it will get done. And not only did he do that, but he also paid a theater to air it for two years. Or, excuse me, they would only do it for two weeks. And in two weeks, it made $1,800. <laughs> 
And again, he bought the billboard. He did everything. And for me, if you watch this movie, all everybody in the movie keeps saying is what a wonderful guy the main character is. And like, oh, he's such a great guy. You should stay married to him because he's so wonderful. And he feeds the homeless and he's taking care yeah. of this guy. And it's just it's just this puff piece about himself. Absolutely. I mean, this is Wiseau Films. He's totally in charge of everything that has to do with this film, distribution, all those things. It was also not available to stream anywhere. And so I actually had to buy a copy of the DVD in order to see this film, which I now own. This is what it says on the back of the DVD. This is how it's described on some level. No plot involved <laughs> here, by the way. The Room is an electrifying American black comedy about love, passion, betrayal, and lies. It's what happens in real life. You could be with your loving woman and all of a sudden, boom. She's in bed with your best friend or a family member. The room depicts the depths of friendships and relationships in one's life and realizes life's real and most asked question. Can you ever really trust anyone? Are you ready to see reflections of your life? That's wow. what he wants you to see in this. This is real life. This was his real life, according to Jeff. There you but go. what it really plays like is like it's like they crammed a whole season of Melrose Place into <laughs> 90 minutes. It's it's it like that's how I felt about it because there's so much repetition in this film. The basic story is there's Saint Johnny, as I like to call him. Johnny <laughs> is Tommy Wiseau's character. Like Jeff said, everybody's in love with him. They're so concerned if anybody deserves half. This is Johnny. He just helps everybody. He's so altruistic. But he's got this girlfriend, Lisa, who looks like a pregnant Britney Spears. She's a strange, <laughs> strange girl. And she is constantly having these side meetings, these scenes with her mother. This old lady looks like one of the Golden Girls. And she's always saying, he's so boring. I don't want to get married anymore. She's always telling everybody, I'm going to do all these things and I don't want to be married. And yet, like Jeff said, everything he does is so sweet. But that happens over and over again especially these interludes that they have this is the most shocking thing i think we can just get it out of the way up top yeah this is rated r just to let you know we are going to be spoiler heavy and we will mark this explicit just so that you guys know this is out of our norm. Yeah. Well, we're not going to be explicit. No, we, we don't need to mark it but... explicit. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's going to see the film ahead of time to catch exactly. up with us. Exactly. In hindsight, especially for our more timid viewers, I would fast forward through the first 20 minutes because you don't miss anything, but you miss three sex scenes that are completely superfluous that have nothing other than just being uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like a 13-year-old boy's interpretation <laughs> of what a 13-year-old girl wants to see in a movie. Right. Like what he thinks a 13-year-old girl would consider romantic. He's like, yeah, if you get in the bed together and you start with a pillow fight and then you pour rose petals on each other <laughs> and there's like the bed has the canopy and there's a waterfall in the room and this romantic pop music playing. It's just really awkward and, and you see a lot of Tommy Wiseau's behind. There's just a yep. whole lot of a yep. gluteus maximus on display there and he seems to be very proud of it. It's clenching, it's thrusting, it's, oh dear. Based on the trivia, apparently only one or two of those were filmed and they just rehashed the footage. Oh, did they? Yeah. That would make exactly. Sense. And they'll do cut scenes because normally, you know, you're you're showing it and then you cut to like a window and then you. But they would do a cut scene and then cut back and they'd be exactly in the same place. <laughs> and it's just like normally you do like a fade or something. I mean, even if you're gonna do a whole scene, you'll do a fade and then in the next scene they've taken their clothes off. No, it's a cut 
and then they're still exactly where they were. The setup to the first sex scene is it's it's upsetting Why? because this couple have adopted this like 18 year old kid who must be an orphan. We kind of learn later both his parents died, and Johnny pays for an apartment for him and paid for his college tuition just out of the goodness of his heart. This oh. kid is named Denny, and Denny obviously has a thing for Lisa, and he's always doing this flirty thing. The problem is the the actor is probably like in his 30s, but yeah. I think he's supposed to be playing like a 16 year old or something, even though he's supposed to be in college, because the way that they position him is like, oh, that little scamp. You know, kids say the darndest things, but you're like, no, he's 30 years old and he's hanging <laughs> around you like a puppy dog. And the opening scene is Johnny giving Lisa a dress and they're going to go upstairs and make love. And Danny's like, can I come? And they're like, no, you know, it's a, two, two is a company, three is a crowd, Denny. And yeah. then he comes up anyway. They're having their foreplay pillow fight and he jumps on the bed and starts rolling around and wrestling with them. And then ultimately they're like, what are you doing? I just like watching you. Oh. And you're just like, what? Which like, I what think <laughs> was supposed to be, yeah, it wasn't supposed to be sexual, but it was, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was funny. And I mean, that's even like, again, on the Wikipedia page, like what the... I I think they describe it so well as saying that one of the major flaws, I mean, <laughs> flaws makes it seem like it would have been good if not for these things, but it didn't come that close. Like the main plot is the idea that St. Johnny gets cheated on by his fiance, but there are so many random side plots that get a surprising amount of attention, but then are just okay. So at one point, the fiance's mom comes over and first she starts off by saying, I'm dying and then I'm going to have yeah. breast cancer. Well, and, and we Lisa's on. like, no, you're not. Don't worry about it. Don't worry yeah. about it. At one point, Denny apparently has been taking money or drugs from a drug dealer <laughs> who puts Sounds a gun cool to his head and then Johnny of course comes up and rescues him and then that's the last we hear about it yeah, and then at one point, in like 10 minutes, he just disappears. Exactly. They took him to the police station. Exactly. Jeff, oh. the best part of that drug scene, though, is the aftermath. Because well, yeah, Johnny, that's what I was going to say. They take him away, you know, take the drug dealer right now. Lisa and her mom are up there <laughs> berating, you know, this kid <laughs> who just had a gun put to his head. But they're asking questions about him that just do not matter. <laughs> like, so the, the mother's like, where do you meet a man like this? Lisa's like, how much money did you him what <laughs> drugs are you taking it's like all these extra details it's like i don't think it matters now this movie really should have been called the roof because all the stuff you hear about this movie takes place on the roof, and that's where the movie really picks up every time. And like Jeremy alluded to, it's a terrible green screen, San Francisco skyline in the background, and it just feels like another world, like they've stepped into another dimension. Yeah. But he goes up there with, oh, hi, Mark, you know, and he's talking to him, and they're just talking about women. And then, yeah, Mark basically says, you know, I know this guy, he beat up his girlfriend because he found out she was dating 12 other guys and put her in the hospital. Johnny's like, ha ha, what a story, Mark. Right. You know? <laughs> and apparently they shot that however many times and they everybody kept trying to convince him that, Tommy, you shouldn't be laughing. This is not something that is funny. And he's like, no, no, it is funny. It is. And he wouldn't <laughs> do it without the laugh. And that's what they say that that's... The two things about this movie, the biggest things, I think, are these random plot lines that go nowhere and these random changes in the feeling, even in the middle of a sentence, 
where he is talking about how I didn't hit my girlfriend. I didn't hit my girlfriend. Oh, hi, Mark. And then it's just yeah. like, boom. Apparently that one, it took him 32 times. <laughs> Well, and that's the other thing that should be mentioned about this as well. Aside from these character emotional shifts mid-sentence, most of Tommy Wiseau's dialogue is dubbed after the fact. And you can totally tell the audio quality changes or whatever. And he's like speaking more clearly, but his lips are not matching it. It's so much so that the bonus features, there's an interview with Tommy. And he's just like, thank you for buying the DVD. I hope you watch it once. Need to watch it twice. And then even in his interview, you, he dubs over lines in that because he wasn't ass. speaking clearly enough. Wow. <laughs> You're just like, oh dear, oh dear. But the plot lines, like Jeff is saying, there is one more, I think, that is playing out oddly which is, and again, I think it's supposed to be comic relief, but like about 45 minutes into the film, all of a sudden, this new couple walks through the door to Tommy and Lisa's apartment. And you're like, oh, yeah. who are these people? <laughs> and it's just this couple that starts making out. They start eating chocolates off each other and making weird googly eye faces. Yeah. And then Lisa and her mom come home and interrupt it. But for 10 minutes, you're watching them flirt and eat chocolate off each other. And you're like, I don't know what, it, I don't know what this is. <laughs> know, who, like, who are, are these people? people? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were the new casts. Yeah. Towards the end, or is it the final scene? I think it yeah, is. The, 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 the conflict. Scene. Yeah, the party when scene. They, the, yeah. the party scene that she throws a birthday for him for some reason. And this random new couple comes up and starts lecturing him about how he needs to deal with his fiance or whatever. And apparently the reason that they were in it all was because it was supposed to be Peter, the guy who earlier, who's a friend who's supposed to be like in the wedding party and he's a psychologist or something like that. Apparently his contract stipulated he was only available for a certain amount of filming time and they ran out of time so then they just gave his lines to some random character that we had never met before who's all of a sudden saying peter's lines like he's peter and <laughs> yeah and he's got a full head of hair exactly. and he's actually a better actor than Peter was, right. you know, so it's like nice to see him, but it's like, who are you? And that party scene is out of control. There's all this stuff going on. Like at some point he announces, hey, everybody, we're, we're expecting. Pregnant. But she never told him that in the film. You're like, when did he find out she was pregnant? And then she goes, no, I just told him that to make it more interesting. And then the friends, <laughs> the, the two friends are like, again, the one who was in the makeout chocolate couple, this woman who's supposedly somebody's friend who she confides in uh, later and then replacement Peter and they confront Lisa you've got to change this it's going to disrupt our friendship and then Peter guy's like I feel like I'm sitting on an atom bomb that's about to go off and I then, feel the same way <laughs> and then Lisa says she won't and then she's like well you guys don't have to worry about me and the, the girlfriend's like we're not worried about you we're just worried about what this is going to do to Johnny you know so it's just like again just totally bringing it back Saint and you Johnny. do not matter yes saint johnny is who we care about but then there's this fight that we haven't really mentioned much about this lisa cheats on tommy with his best friend in air quotes because there's this guy named mark and he is in this film but he has zero willpower so it's just like lisa invites him over and starts seducing him he's like no we shouldn't do this and then she's just like why you don't like me he's my best friend and they have sex on the stairs anyway you 
know, he's supposed to be his best friend. The only thing you see them doing together, really bonding, is playing football in the park, inexplicably. There's a lot of football motifs in this. You know, I guess it's the day before the wedding, but then there's no wedding? Like, they're all in tuxedos in an alley, throwing a ball around. Anyway, so at the very end, you come to the boiling point, and Johnny has figured everything out. He's taping people's phone calls, and so he confronts Mark, and they have this fight that is just a middle school brawl where they're just pushing each other back and forth and everybody's trying to break him up and it happens twice because then Johnny's like oh Mark I'm sorry that's not a fight and then like (laughs) it cuts to a random shot of the San Francisco skyline at night that it cuts back to the party and then they start fighting again. You know? <laughs> and then Chavi's like, what are you, chicken? Cheap, 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 cheap. <laughs> it doesn't work. Let's just put it that way. It ultimately yeah. just leads to Tommy saying, I'm fed up with this world. I can't trust anybody. And then everybody leaves and he has a mental breakdown and uh, spoiler commits suicide at the end. And then everybody realized how much (laughs) we've mistreated him. And then what a horrible (laughs) people we've all met. You'll miss me when I'm gone. (laughs) I do want to throw in, before we dive in further here, I do want to throw in two of my favorite little nuggets, I guess, that I was reading. The one that cracked me up maybe the most is that they said that the original intent for the film is there was supposed to be a subplot that was going to reveal that Johnny was actually a vampire. They wanted to make a scene where all of a sudden the Mercedes, his Mercedes would start flying and fly around the city of San Francisco, <laughs> but they couldn't figure out how to do that. So they cut the whole subplot. Because <laughs> that's what vampires do. They make exactly. their cars fly. They make their cars... Well, not only that, but you know in this movie, they would have never explained that. They just would have shown a flying car at some point. Yeah. yeah, I saw that trivia point, and he asked all of the crew to think up how to do it. <laughs> and nobody could think of how to... A, explain it, or B, how to make his car actually float practically. So they just ended up scrapping that. One more that cracked me up is that they said that apparently shortly before finishing or writing or whatever the script, people said that apparently Wissau was very influenced by the movie The Talented Mr. Ripley. So that's why he made a lot of the characters very similar. In fact, apparently the name of the character Mark was because he misheard Matt Damon's first name (laughs) and thought his first name was Mark. I love the Mark Damon. (laughs) But here's the thing. So for all this craziness that is Tommy Wiseau, right? And you just, you look at this film and you're just like, this guy doesn't seem to have a grasp on reality. I spent most of this week just watching interview after interview. I mean, he's been interviewed on like Good Morning America and CNN. That's torture, man. But here's the thing about this guy. He he is strange, but in his own way, like a force for good in the universe. And this is going to sound so odd, but listening to him, he's like, look, I understand that, you know, people are going to take this film the way they've chosen to take it, right? And he's accepted that it's a joke and that it, his original intention did not work. And so he said, you know, but this is America, you know, you, you can't 
make your dreams come true. And I'm happy. I'm, it's the freedom that people have. I'm going to let them take it the way they, they want to take it. And so now he's got an industry behind himself. He makes a living. I mean, he's turned it into something. And I think it's such a feel-good story in that way. It's like technically he failed, but now he's he's taken what it is and turned it into a success. And so now, I mean, he's got his own financed web series called The Neighbors that is out now. <laughs> I mean, he's making other films, you know, but but he, he travels the country screening this film. People ask him questions and he's happy to give his perspective on it. He's not bitter. He's not angry and he's not totally delusional. He always tells everybody in every interview, it's like, if you have to watch it at least twice, I think, and you will get it, you know, so like, <laughs> and I watched it twice based on that. I mean, I decided I couldn't do it alone. So I watched it with the Rift Tracks commentary. I was just like, I could, something's got to get get me through this but for whatever we want to say about it he's still living the american dream you know and i think that's that's there's something to be said there so if you didn't understand what we're talking about it's not going to help watching the film necessarily <laughs> just, just go read it on wikipedia it makes more sense that way actually <laughs> all right so just to clarify the movie ends he's dead correct yes. he commits suicide and everyone's very sad all right are we going to reboot this sequel or a prequel? Well, in this universe, it could go any which way. Jeff, you got yeah. something for us? Okay, so I do have a sequel, which you kind of spoiled my title already, Adam. Mine would be called The Roof. Okay. And um, <laughs> my thought was doing it in the same vein as this one was done. So we're not trying to redeem it. We're not trying to explain the things away. We're trying to do another movie the exact same way that this one was done, the way that maybe Tommy Wiseau would actually do it. So I have a very low bar, perhaps. So anyway, so The Roof takes place uh, just after the events of The Room. Uh, and it opens with Johnny's funeral. So everybody has this great chance. Maybe this might be an extended scene so everybody can really talk about just how wonderful Johnny was. Bring out all of these people that are talking about, I will never love another man like this. Maybe like a homeless lady or an orphan or maybe an orphanage, maybe some nuns, just overemphasizing how wonderful Johnny actually was. Afterwards, then everybody goes back to the apartment. Lisa, Mark, and Denny still live there. Lisa, I guess, stays in the apartment or whatever so that the same characters are still kind of around and one day Mark is up on the roof smoking marijuana apparently because that's what he does and Johnny's ghost appears and gives Mark sage romantic advice and then from that <laughs> point on I would see kind of like the main thrust of the story if there is such a thing would be a love triangle between the three of them uh, but Denny would always need to come back to the roof because that's where Johnny's ghost was. And he would always need to come to Johnny for advice. And <clears throat> in the meantime, there would be random other things that would kind of come through. Like I would think Chris R., which was the drug dealer, he would come back and Denny and Chris R. would have another run in. But this time Johnny's ghost would show up and then frighten Chris R. So he would <laughs> run away. Mark and Peter, I could see them coming up. Uh, I kind of thought, if especially if it's made today, that Tommy would want to be Mr. Cutting Edge or whatever. So Mark and Peter maybe get into a fight and then end up falling in love and other random things. But then the end would all lead to uh, Lisa realizing that she can't live without Johnny and then she shoots herself as well. <laughs> well, she hasn't turned into a vampire. He wouldn't uh, resurrect that plot. I don't know about that. 
The only part that I would be a little, I don't know how forgiving Tommy was. So was not forgiving of his fiance that spurned him. So yes. for her to <laughs> kill herself and then be a ghost with him. I don't know. But I love the idea of the Johnny character again, really is a saint. Cause did you say that he was giving Mark romantic advice or just sure. Danny? Oh yeah. Because they have to come. <laughs> to Johnny knows everything. Johnny was the greatest lover and the greatest everything. <laughs> so even though he's part of the reason he killed himself, he's going to forgive and he's going to help him be happy of the life he has left. That's right. very well, big. Sure. I don't know. But Mark broke up with Lisa after this event. You don't even have me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the roof. Okay. Well, mine is also a sequel. I felt like there is so much unexplored territory. There's totally more to be done here. So I went the opposite direction of the structure. My film is called The Basement. Nice. <laughs> so it starts out Johnny is dead, and Johnny's identical twin brother, Tommy Wiseau, with a ponytail. <laughs> yes! Ricky comes to claim the body and take him back to Kentucky for burial on the family farm. He wanders through the apartment, inexplicably having flashback to scenes from the first film, and is visibly upset by these events that he never witnessed. And we'll find that the rest of the movie is actually 75% made up of unused footage and alternate takes from the first film <laughs> that's awkward cut and dubbed over with lines that attempt to explain the rest of the plot. Anyway, Ricky finds his way to the rooftop and there finds Denny shooting up heroin while sobbing in front of a picture of Johnny. Ricky knocks the needle out of his arm and shakes head to the kid saying that Johnny wouldn't have wanted this and he gave his life for Denny, which is not necessarily true. Yeah, well. Ricky takes Denny to the basement, revealing that Johnny had secretly been embezzling money from the bank that he worked at and hidden the cash in the wall. As they Cut through the wall to find the stash of cash. Denny says he can't believe Johnny was a criminal, which Ricky tells him is their family business and that Johnny just got too deep into his role pretending to be an honest guy and fooled himself into believing that he loved Lisa. Denny desperately needs the money to pay off his drug dealer, so he knocks out Ricky and takes off with the cash. Now, in between scenes, Ricky chasing Denny via cable car. Ricky also <laughs> makes his way back to the apartment and seduces Lisa, making her believe he's the ghost of Johnny. Hey, we had similar thoughts. Go. Come back to haunt her and that his soul will only be laid to rest if they have lots of makeup sex. Yeah. And Lisa is driven insane after the third sex scene and is taken to a mental institution where she is visited by her mother. And Lisa's mom reveals that she's actually an undercover CIA agent who was using her daughter to set up Johnny and get access to the embezzled money, but Lisa's promiscuous nature messed up the plan. So the mom tries to catch Denny before Ricky does, realizing he now has the cash, but Denny is scared and has two people on his trail now, so he eats a bag of shrooms so as to not be caught quote holding this leads to more flashbacks to the first film with different colored filters <laughs> then after his episode in a meta twist it turns out that denny was actually tripping in a screening of the room and johnny was just a writer actor director named tommy cooperating with lisa's mom the cia agent and lied about the embezzling to trap his criminal brother ricky in exchange for being able to secretly film the events of the sting operation and fashion them into a movie leading to a life of legitimacy as an artist and a human being. And the film's climax is a final showdown between Ricky and Tommy in a movie theater with lots of cheap, 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 cheap sounds and a beat it style switchblade battle with plastic spoon shivs 
which resulted the two killing each other simultaneously. With both men dead, Lisa's mom attacks Denny, stealing the money and revealing that she needs it to cure her breast cancer and that this was all a setup because men are a-holes and you should only use them for their money. In a rooftop battle, Denny pushes Lisa's mom off the balcony and uses the basement money to check himself into a rehab clinic where the therapy consists of playing football all day. A happy musical montage of all the football scenes from the first film leads to a final shot of Denny's hands catching a football that has the basement printed on it. The end. Wow. That had 10 times the plot of the original. It actually, yeah, it tied them all in together, more or less. Yeah, I, I would feel like he would want to get in there, justify some things, and yeah. add more intrigue. Because I'm sure he could have a bigger budget now. He'd have financiers, you know. All right. Uh, my idea is a prequel, and it's called The Park. And it's pretty much how Johnny met Lisa. That's pretty much all the plot that you need. Now, we have to reveal, that, I don't know if you remember seeing the scene in any clips, but he, he explains very briefly. It's a very funny story how we met. You know, she was just uh, in a restaurant one day where I was working, and I said, hi. And that's how we met. <laughs> that, was, that was his funny story about how they met. That was their meet cute. But I like the idea of maybe there's a truer story that is the park. Well, maybe he's walking by the park and there's a parkside restaurant. So would that be like a romantic comedy sort of a style? I would say it's Harry Met Sally with Wiseau reading it. So I do have to say, as uncomfortable as it would be, it would be somewhat amusing to see him actually try and to romance a female because like i don't think he quite realized how old he was and how young she was because she was what in her late 20s she had to be yeah and he was not (laughs) (laughs) i don't even know if it's worth taking a vote on this because i feel like you just put all of our ideas together in one film and there you have it you know yeah i would like to kind of brainstorm because i do feel like to be true to the original, having the random plot pieces that don't go anywhere and are just kind of thrown out there. So I'd be interested to hear what some random three-second plots would be that would be (laughs) in this movie. Jeremy kind of touched on it earlier that he would want to be current, cutting edge. Uh But I think there would have to be a misunderstanding of what current and cutting edge is. (laughs) So so, I feel like it would be something like Snapchat and he gets super involved in Snapchat and is sending all these funny pictures of himself, but they're actually not funny. They're just really disturbing. But he's sending them like they're cute, you know, and it's presented in the film like they're cute. So it's like him with a drawn on rope on the screen of like him hanging himself and then he puts like hard eyes in him but he's hanging with his tongue out of his head weird weird stuff you know <laughs> him with a gun to his dog's head exactly. <laughs> i killed this dog for you i love you so much yeah uh yeah i would want to see him being 61 today try to play himself in his late 20s <laughs> I still think he would say, like, what? I look the exact same as I did. I don't understand. (laughs) I would think another plot would probably be Peter's psychiatrist practice. Right. And I feel like he'd have a lot of funny patients that come in that talk (laughs) about their problems. But again, it's really not appropriate, the stuff they're talking about. Yeah. And then they would meet in some sort of probably like a sushi restaurant and they'd sit together and Peter would tell him all about him, you know, so you'd see it and then he'd tell it and Tommy would be laughing 
about exactly. it. Exactly. You know? Would laugh. Or, yeah, Peter would come in and be like, yes, I had a, a schizophrenic person who committed suicide. <laughs> so anyway. How's your sex life? <laughs> How's <Yeah>. your sex life? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, other than that, I would imagine he probably could get a few cameos. Be like. I don't know um, if he would want that, though, because I feel like it would upstage him. Hmm. And it's kind of his show here. <laughs> that's the thing too and i even said that not only was every single actor that was cast virtually none of them had any movie acting experience mark who's basically this you know secondary main character he was like the script supervisor or something yeah they fired the original mark and then they're like you come on over here and he just jumped in I saw a, an interview with Greg Sestero. He's like, yeah, I was a model. Everybody always said it's a great jumping off point to be an actor. Apparently that's not true, I've learned. Uh, <laughs> so what about random, like you kind of mentioned, Adam, the two running jokes with this movie are the football, and they only throw it about six feet in any given time, and that he's got a framed photo of a spoon. That would be my thought, is that one, either we get some explanation about why he has a framed photo of a spoon, or two, just more random scenes of, hey, let's play some football, eh? okay. The spoon that's so iconic now, like at these screenings, from what I've heard, people throw plastic spoons around and all that. It's such like a tiny thing in the background that I guess if you see it on a big screen, you notice it. Watching it on my TV, I didn't. I kept watching for it. I'm like, I don't see it. And then I finally found uh-huh. it still online. But I think he would try to justify it again and he would talk about this plastic spoon as a metaphor for life. Yeah, you know? Like, and, and I, What's a metaphor for a spoon? I think he has gone on record saying that the way we present ourselves is it's a plastic world. It's fake. It's, it's not real. It's not something you can count on and hold on to. That's what it means. Or something like that. This spoon, like life, is disposable. But if you wash it, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then he would turn it around and make it romantic. It's just like, I want to spoon you all the time. (laughs) This is my way of reminding myself. Of my love, Lisa. Yeah, you're right. You would have to have some philosophic conversation, I would think, that needs to And another running thought, I guess, has been that when we first meet Mark, he is in his car, parked, apparently, (laughs) somewhere, and he says... I can't right now, I'm very busy. But we never find out what Mark does. I read somewhere, somebody hypothesized that Mark was actually a detective lieutenant or something like that, like an investigative detective. I think that was a missed opportunity for me and my pitch. He should be working with Lisa's mom. He's a CIA agent. They were in it together. He got involved with Lisa and he ruined it too. Well, he got involved so that he could get Lisa out of the picture so that they could take down Johnny. What's interesting is, you know, obviously most famous bad films, it is a lightning in a bottle, right? Like you can't capture it again. There's not ever been a troll three there's not you know (laughs) plan 10 from outer space we didn't get any of these things and and i feel like as much as we try it could never be what we want it to be because we'd be expecting it right the one exception and it's once you actually realize how bad it is and embrace it would be evil dead because if you guys have seen the Evil Dead movies, Evil Dead 1 wasn't bad. Evil Dead 2 was one of the worst movies ever made. So Evil Dead 3, Army of Darkness, Sam Raimi said, to heck with it, we're going comedy. And it's gold. And like Bruce Campbell, they just let him go crazy. And and it works. 
So it's kind of like you could actually sequelize it if you embrace it for what it is. But I also think that in the horror or sci-fi genre, you can do that so much easier. You can take it in a different direction with what this was supposed to be, that it's supposed to be a a drama. (laughs) And then you're trying to sequelize a drama, but now make it a dark comedy. That's such a leap to take. But I don't think if he made it again that he would intentionally make it bad. I think that's the problem. I think he just continues to pursue his own thoughts and ideas, you know, his interpretation of the world. But I don't think he is producing stuff intentionally that he thinks is bad and that people will love it now. Although this new thing, The Neighbors, like when I, my copy of the DVD, it comes with an insert for TW brand underwear, (laughs) these boxer shorts and and boxer briefs. And it's a picture of him on the back in black and white. His eye is not halfway through a blink, but he's shirtless and he's just staring into the camera like a Calvin Klein model. And and, (laughs) the waistband of the underwear has embroidered in it Tommy Wiseau. Like it's Tommy Wiseau brand underwear, just like Calvin Klein. And I saw like a little trailer for the neighbor's show that he's doing now. And literally everybody in the scene is wearing the underwear. It is so strange. Like it's just odd displays. That's his new pursuit. And there's a website that you can go to. And the stuff has been reduced recently. So you can get a deal. Um, (laughs) Just TommyWiseau.com. And the great thing about the website is it looks like again a low rent eastern european website that you're like "Uh oh i shouldn't have clicked that link (laughs) what am i doing here and it's probably intentional but again i don't know there's so much to be mined from this world (laughs) and hopefully we've given it some direction where he could take it if he's ever so inclined but keep an eye out for this disaster artist movie with that james franco is playing tommy wiseau by the way that is supposed to come out in december right before star wars episode eight wow all right so you can make it a double feature oh i was looking at the cast and it's gonna make money oh yeah that's what i'm saying it's amazing who's in it you know just based on the reputation of the films he's living the dream tommy Wiseau is in it contractually they said he was required (laughs) to be in the film um i did look it up this movie did not win any Razzies. It had some stiff competition with the Ben Affleck Daredevil. But the DVD packaging says that it's the winner of the Audience Award New York IIFVF. So what, what whatever that? the IIFVF that is. is. That's what yeah. I'm trying to look it up right now. I'm like, wait a minute. What is this? Guess what? The first thing that comes up is New York IIFVF dot 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 bad festival and then the third one down is tommy wiseau's wikipedia awards and nominations wait did he create a website that awards him something so he can put it on the dvd it's very possible it claims here's the new york international independent film and video festival and he won for the room in 2004 and then he also won the same year for a documentary called homeless in america so i don't know but it is award-winning on some level well with that is this our worst episode ever like we've mentioned before though we do have our listeners out there we don't really get to hear from them a whole lot but i'd be really interested to hear if this is something that our listeners would enjoy i've been watching samurai cop I would love to do Samurai Cop. That's a horrible, horrible movie. He's already in Samurai Cop 2. There you go. Tommy Wiseau, yeah. He's Is part he of really? Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> or like Santa Claus versus the Martians or some of these really, really bad movies. You know, this was fun. And, and if people out there would want to hear another one, I'd be down for doing another one someday. Or we could just do a special with our picks for the worst films and True. see if uh, anybody wants to vote on which one they want to hear a, a prequel, sequel, oh. reboot oh. to. This movie was so bad, I would rather go watch Xanadu. Oh. oh. <laughs> but man, this could be the new leaf we've turned over for sequel quest. Let's not bother with films you've heard about or films you care about. Just focus on terrible films all the time. Okay, well, with that, we just leave you with this question from the mind of Tommy Wiseau. Can you really trust anyone? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. Tunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 